The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now on Bloomberg 99.1. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99. 991 at 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. The shutdown. Government reopens, but for how long? White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders just briefing reporters at the White House. We have the latest on what she says about whether or not the president will use emergency powers. Meanwhile, breaking within the last half hour, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi inviting President Trump to deliver his State of the Union address on February 5th. And a Chinese delegation, they're headed into Washington to meet with top economic advisors to President Trump. This, as the administration announces, accuses rather Huawei, the Chinese telecom giant, of stealing trade secrets and defrauding banks. We're going to break down what that means for U.S.-China trade talks. And Congressman Jim Banks, a freshman Republican from Indiana, on his way, he just touched down from Indiana, landing in Reagan Airport. He's on his way into the studio. We're going to have him to get the latest on that government shutdown, as well as an all-star panel. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government congressional reporter with me for the hour, and Francesca Chambers, a senior White House correspondent at the Daily Mail. It's been a minute since White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Sanders has delivered a White House briefing, and she delivered one today. And, of course, all talk about whether or not the government will shut down in three weeks from now. She was asked about this point blank. And, well, here's what she had to say. If they don't come back with a deal, that means Democrats get virtually nothing. Uh, that will make the president and force him to have to take executive action that does not give Democrats the things that they want. So this is a perfect time, uh, and the table has been perfectly set by the president in order for a good deal to come together where everybody gets a little bit of something they're looking for. So following that, uh, one by one, the White House ushering out some top advisors to President Trump. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin was there. Uh, Chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors Larry Kudlow was there. And pretty much the warning is quite simple. Democrats either deal with President Trump or the government's going to shut down. Mind you, all of the polling that came out over the weekend suggests that independent voters, well, they're not too fond of a partial government shutdown or of a wall now, what's interesting about these polls is that they don't specifically go into what precisely a wall would be, because when it gets a little more interesting, particularly in some of these moderate Democrat districts in Texas, when you start talking about border security, drone, fencing, and that 
and the likes. And we should also note that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's approval rating also took a bit of a tumble. That said, the Democrats are unified behind Speaker Pelosi and she herself now inviting President Trump to deliver his State of the Union address one week from tomorrow, folks, on Tuesday, February 5th. All of that leads folks to believe that, well, maybe she might have won that battle on Friday, but this is just a battle and not the war. The president still determined to get funding for his wall. Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, just walked in the door at the studio fresh from his flight from Indiana, right? That's right. Thank you for coming in. Great to be here. Well, okay, so you as a a lawmaker, welcome back to Washington. Uh, It feels like a rerun because it's the same fight, no? Uh, it does. Um, three weeks uh, is a lot of time in Washington, but it's going to go by very quickly. And uh, over that three weeks, uh, the, the American people are, are wondering if Nancy Pelosi will rise to the occasion. Will she deliver a deal and compromise with the president, or will it be more of the same? And, and what's not lost in the American people, I had, a, I had a town hall meeting this morning before I hopped on the plane. What's not lost to my constituents and, uh, and the American people at large is the president giving Nancy Pelosi, giving in and giving her three weeks, puts the impetus on her shoulders to come back to the table uh, to negotiate. So if, if the government shuts down again, Kevin, um, it'll be very clear to the American people that Nancy Pelosi is responsible for the shutdown. Congressman, I was really struck by the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, which came out today with an economic report that, si- that said 0.1% GDP growth was sliced off of the fourth quarter of ca- calendar year 2018, 0.2 or 3% of GDP growth from the first quarter of this, uh, of this quarter, of this first quarter of this year. I mean, that's, this is tangible uh, economic data. I get it. You're a Republican, and and so you're you're critical of Speaker Pelosi. When I have Democrats on, they're critical of the president. But what do you say to those independent voters who are looking at this and saying they they can't believe that we might go through all of this again? Well, what I told my constituents this morning and and what uh, resonated and was well understood by them is that the the way this process works, I mean, you go go back to Schoolhouse Rocks, right? (laughs) I mean, the— the House and the Senate have to pass something to the president's desk, and the president has two choices. He either signs it or he vetoes it. And on Friday was the first time that anything got to the president's desk. And what did he do? He signed it. Yeah. Um, the impetus is on the legislative branch of government to, to negotiate between Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans. And I'm, I've been critical of Mitch McConnell and the, and the Senate um, along, uh, along the way during this process as well to negotiate with Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats to, to strike a deal and put something on the president's desk. If it's not a wall, give him more dollars for border security, for sophisticated technologies. I'll bet you he's. I bet. He, I'll bet you he comes to a point where he signs something that gives him something to secure the border and uh, fulfill this commitment that he made to the American people to, to provide for greater border security. Whether it's the wall, uh, more dollars for border security at points of entry. Um, give him something, and let's move on to other issues. Congressman Jim Banks uh, with me in studio, Republican from Indiana, also a, a veteran of the Afghanistan war, a freshman in Congress, and, and I believe one of the only freshman members on the House uh, Armed Services Committee, correct? Well, it, la- last term. Uh, last this term. is my second term. Second term, so, apologize, um, yeah. But we, we did add one freshman, uh, 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 Congressman Waltz uh, yeah. from Florida is the only he's freshman. The fr- he's the freshman, yeah. In this Congress, so... Um, this is my second term and uh, proud to continue to serve on the House Armed Services mm-hmm. Committee. It, it is the most bipartisan committee in all of the Congress. 
last the last two years we did a lot in a bipartisan fashion to rebuild the military working with the administration to do that, uh, there's a lot more work to do, so I look forward to continuing that fight. Francesca Chambers uh, is a senior White House correspondent at the Daily Mail. You were at the White House briefing today with White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders, so we're hearing from Congressman Jim Banks uh, just about sort of the lay of the land and the congressional aspect. From the White House's perspective, it sounds like they're fully prepared to use or declare a national emergency uh, should Congress not deliver to President Trump what he wants. That's exactly what it sounds like after that press briefing. So why not just do it now? Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of legal issues with that, and that's something that Mick Mulvaney referred to over the weekend when he was on Fox News Sunday. If the president were to declare a national emergency, that's going to be held up in courts. Um, he loves to talk about the Ninth Circuit, and, mm-hmm. and it could end up in the Ninth Circuit and be held up. We actually have uh, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, uh, what he told Face the Nation over the weekend. Uh, take a listen to what he said. Yeah, I think he actually is. Uh, Keep in mind, he's willing to do whatever it takes to secure the border. So that was uh, Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, with me in studio. Francesca Chambers, senior White House correspondent. They stay. Uh, Let's go to break, and we'll have more on the shutdown coming up. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Sound On, Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back. Busy day on the first day back of the government reopening. And it, well, might shut down again three weeks from now. We were talking in the first block with Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana who's with us uh, here in studio, about the president's decision of whether or not to shut down the government again or to declare a national emergency. What would you like to see him do? I'd like to see the Congress do what it's supposed to do. I mean, at the end of the day, it shouldn't be a surprise that a member of the legislative branch of government wants the Congress to step up to the plate, do our job, pass a deal, fund the government, give give the president um, what he's asking for in, in, in some fashion, uh, develop a compromise with the between the House and the Senate and the and the and the White House and, and move on to uh, other issues that we can solve for this country, like health care and a lot of other issues that are on the minds of my constituents. Yeah, I'm really struck by that because you, you introduced a bill uh, that uh, relating to health care. And, and I was thinking about this over the weekend when I was talking to some staffers on both sides of the aisle just about are, are, is it wise for Republicans to really pin all of their hopes to a wall, uh, literally and figuratively, instead of trying to get some type of other major initiative because one by one – you're starting to see the Democratic opposition really be unified against this. Why not put forth new ideas? I mean, folks might disagree with the Republican tax plan, but it still wasn't a wall. I'm an idea guy. I ran for Congress to propose solutions to our country's problems. So uh, the, the wall is a part of an overall and broader solution to addressing illegal immigration issues, as well as the drug, the drug flow issues, national security yeah. issues. I serve on the Armed Services Committee, as we talked about a little bit ago. There's no question that um, bad guys come into our country over uh, over the border, and we need to do more to prevent that. But it's not the only issue that I care about. I, I as you as you talked about, I introduced a bill a couple of weeks ago to address um, one of the drivers of the rising cost of health care, hospital consolidation issues, which has resulted in about a 50 percent increase in overall health care cost because of the number of consolidations of of uh, healthcare institutions in our country. That, that's the type of, of congressman that I want to be, even in the minority. What I'm finding in the minority, though, is that 
um, Nancy Nancy Pelosi is driving the bus. Well, and- the government, res- I mean, the government literally hasn't even been open <laughs> for this Congress in terms of for for there to really be anything happening. Not right? not on her yeah. watch. Not not until now. Now we have now we have a three week window of opportunity to to rise above the fray and propose a solution to move forward. And and that's what I talked about a little bit ago. I mean, this is basic. Um, uh, civics when you talk about how, how the process works. Schoolhouse rocks. The House passes a bill. The Senate passes a bill. They hash out their disagreements, and then everyone votes on a single uh, bill with the same language and then send it to the president's desk to sign it. So far, the process has been broken down, bogged down uh, because of a lack of leadership in the Congress. And we can point fingers at the president, but there's a lot of uh, finger pointing to go around, uh, go around in the Congress as well. You know, I, I'm really going to embarrass myself right now, Congressman Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana. You keep mentioning Schoolhouse Rock, and, and I feel like I, I, I should should be honest. In the eighth grade school play, I was in the Schoolhouse Rock play in We have to see school. pictures. No, 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 no. Those, that, those, those videos are never <laughs> seeing the light of day. Francesca Chambers, uh, a senior White House correspondent for the Daily Mail, and Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government congressional reporter. Jack, we've heard from Congressman Banks about uh, what Republicans are thinking about as they go into this three-week period of negotiations. What are you hearing from Speaker Pelosi's office? Well, Speaker Pelosi initially said she was going to leave this to the appropriators and really took a softer stance, uh, at least at first glance, uh, saying that this is going to be left to the members of the conference committee. And what I've heard from them is a, a lot more willingness to compromise, at least from people like Lucille Roybal Allard, who has said, She's at least willing to have a, a conversation about uh, new fencing money uh, and, and actual barriers at the border. Uh, the, the question is, does Pelosi stay that way? Does she keep leaving it in their court? Does Trump jump in? Uh, or is this absolutely left to those other members of the conference committee who really are used to working together? Congressman, in terms of uh, so that that or rather, that's that's what Speaker Pelosi's office is saying, Francesca. But. You were at the White House today when Sarah Sanders came out. It was the first time in how long since there was a briefing? It's the first one of this year, first of the new year. Wow. So it's like a more than a month. And when was the That's last? Right. I don't even remember the last one. December. There. It was evidently yeah. in December. And, and Secretary Mnuchin was there. Larry Kudlow was there. And they talked about a lot. And I, I want to get to some of the other topics in this uh, block because we also heard about the ongoing situation in Venezuela, which is a very serious, uh, serious matter. We should note that President Trump has announced his support for the interim president. President Guaido, uh, Juan Guaido, uh, which Speaker Pelosi also, we should note, has backed uh, in terms of the deteriorating situation there uh, as uh, uh, dictator Maduro uh, tries to cling to power. But there are some concerns. You're starting to hear some Democratic concerns about how this situation is being handled. What did the administration have to say, Francesca, at the White House earlier? So they announced new sanctions on Venezuela and called for... Against Maduro. Yes. And it called for elections uh, in the the coming days, and that's what it would take to lift those sanctions. I think what was really remarkable is we learned that President Trump hasn't actually spoken to the opposition leader that the United States now supports. We knew that Vice President Pence had spoken to him several times, but we learned today that President Trump has not spoken to him. They have not yet had a conversation. You know who has spoken to Maduro? Russia President Vladimir Putin, who called uh, dictator Maduro literally the same day as the U.S. administration 
uh, announcing support for uh, Juan Guaido. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana, with me in studio, member of the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, your thoughts on how the U.S. is handling the situation in, in Venezuela? Well, the, the sanctions are evidence of a measured approach. So I, I appreciate the administration's, um, uh, their, their strategy to this point uh, in standing on the right side of democracy and stability in Venezuela with, by, by siding with um, with the with the with the uh, assembly leader um, Juan Guaido, um, and, and and issuing sanctions against Maduro. So that that's a, that shows a measured approach. There's been some scuttlebutt whether or not we'll call troops there. But that that's yet to be seen. I, I hope that I hope that we don't go down that route. With Do you the, think we might have a, to? I, I hope not. No. And and I, I know that there's been a, a conversation about that. Um, that's that's yet to be seen. If that's a realistic. Um, even if that's a serious conversation at this point, um, I've seen no evidence of it being so. San- sanctions are the right approach, and I stand with the administration in support of that. Congressman, on, on this particular point, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard too much of this in, in, the, in, in Congress, or, and obviously not from the administration, but I will, I will tell you, I do see it on social media, and I do hear about it in talking with folks outside of Washington, and that is, is the U.S. in any way pushing for a regime change or electioneering? Well, I, I don't know about as far as electioneering goes, but there, there's, no, there's no question that we stand in favor of some type of a, a change of leadership in Venezuela. But is it the right, I guess I'll be more direct. I mean, folks who are saying, is it the U.S. place to go in in Venezuela and pick a leader? That, that's that's what the chatter is for a lot of observers of this uh, outside of Washington. What would you say to those folks who are a bit uneasy about that? Clearly, the people of Venezuela are looking for a different path forward. The, the economic upheaval, the instability uh, within Venezuela is, um, is significant to the United States of America. But we want, we want the people of Venezuela to step up and make that decision for themselves. And it appears that's exactly what's happening. The military has sided with Guaido um, and, and, uh, and, and positioning themselves on, on his side, on the side of democracy, on the side of democratic reforms. And we, as, a, as a country, as you mentioned, whether it's Nancy Pelosi or President Donald Trump, yeah. we all stand in favor of that. And, and in, in, in many ways, the situation in Venezuela, and this is another question I get a lot from folks outside of Washington, how, wh- why should Americans care about what's going on in Venezuela? When we talk about immigration, when we talk about uh, the, the drug crisis, uh, it, this plays a role in that. When you look at the role that Iran's playing in Venezuela, uh, Russia, as I mentioned, calling uh, Maduro, has an alliance with Maduro, uh, as well as some of these other uh, foreign adversaries who have a relationship there, it really does impact uh, U.S. foreign policy, but also U.S. domestic policy. No question about it. What what we're going to see in the next um, year to the, the next three years is South America taking on the same interest um, from a national security perspective, as much as an economic perspective for the United States of America as what the Middle East has over the past decade or more, other regions of the country that we've been talking about. So there's no, there's no question about it that this, is, this, this, provi- this presents significance to the United States of America that we should pay more attention to. All right, Congressman Jim Banks, stay, staying with us uh, after the break because we have much more to talk about on the shutdown, uh, foreign policy, and the wall. We're going to get into whether or not Republicans would be able to support something other than a wall uh, whether it's drones, steel slats, whatever you want to call it. Call it what you want, but don't say that the shutdown is over. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I gotta say that's a great song. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to uh, Sounds On, Bloomberg 99.1. Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana. We were actually just talking about 90s rock during the during the break. You two right. my all-time favorite band. It's a great band. Yeah. Have you ever seen them? I have. Many uh, times uh, or? Two or three times. They played in Indianapolis 12, 13 years ago. I know I've seen them at least once since then, but I forget where. Okay, yeah, I've seen them like two or three times as well. You know, we were also talking, of course, about uh, the partial government uh, shutdown. I prefer uh, to talk about you too. <laughs> I mean, me too, but I mean, I don't think my bosses want to hear that, so <laughs> so let's keep it on politics. Uh, but I could talk. Actually, Bono is pretty political, but that's another show for another day. Uh, but, but in terms of the partial government shutdown uh, and, and Speaker Pelosi and these polls that came out, and I, and I do want to be honest here. I mean, President Trump took a hit. Speaker Pelosi's approval uh, rating dipped. We're going to be hearing from President Trump, according to the Speaker's office, on February 5th when he delivers that State of the Union address. Earlier today, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders saying, OK, Democrats, either deal or we're declaring a national emergency. I think the interesting thing, Congressman Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana, about these polls that came out is y- – 37% of the country still wants a wall, and 37% isn't 7%. I mean, 30, about a little more than 3 in 10 Americans want this wall. But would you, you come from a pretty conservative district in Indiana. Would you be okay with drones in some areas, with fencing in some areas, with infrared smart wall, I believe, is how the president referred to it in the Rose Garden on Friday. Would you be okay if it wasn't just a wall? Yes. I, I think most Republicans would be okay if it wasn't just a wall. But providing more dollars for better, more sophisticated technologies, a wall in places where a wall is needed and makes the most sense, more Border, border Patrol agents, more dollars for uh, security at ports of entry, um, that all of the above should be and is on the table. In fact, I, I, the president has made it very clear he's willing, to, he's willing to compromise on all of those issues. It's been the other side has been fully unwilling to come to the table and provide any uh, framework for a compromise to occur. But we have three weeks, hopefully, and I, I believe the pressure is on Nancy Pelosi more than ever before. What, what President Trump signed on Friday puts the, puts the pressure fully on Nancy Pelosi to come back to the table compromise and avoid another government shutdown. All right, Congressman Jim Banks, fresh off the plane, Republican from Indiana, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. We, you have been more than generous with your time and joining us in studio. I know you've got to get back to the Capitol, right? You got to yes. go, you're literally going right to the Capitol building? Yes. All right, well, thank you for staying a little late for us. I appreciate it. No Thanks problem. for coming on. Jack Fitzpatrick, a Bloomberg government congressional reporter. Uh, so Republicans say, as we just heard from Congressman Banks, that they would be okay with something other than 
a, a, a straight-up wall. Is that going to be enough to get Democrats to deal? Oh, he's right that the ball really is in Democrats' court. I mean, it, during the shutdown, Democrats said no wall, and there was even that now infamous exchange when Trump said, well, what if when the shutdown ends, would you support any wall? And Pelosi said no. There are other Democrats who say they could support something. But I'll, I'll throw this out there. John Bozeman, who's a senator, a Republican senator who previously actually chaired the Homeland Security Appropriations Committee, said at the end of last week, Republicans could get a pretty good deal with no new fencing because it costs so much money to build the roads along where the wall would be, to build the lights there, to do the surveillance technology. I know Trump wouldn't want that, but that's kind of a sign of how much room there is for potential compromise. That You have a, a Republican in the Senate saying, we, would, we could get a pretty good deal with no fencing, let alone a full wall. Uh, the question is, how much does Pelosi have her hand in this? How much has the Democrats' uh, position changed? Changed. Are they willing to compromise that on that or not? Because it does seem clear Republicans would be perfectly happy to take a little bit of fencing money, if not that full $5.7 billion. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government Congressional Reporter, uh, uh, joining us. Jack, I mean, are, are you sensing any, any type of uh, dissent within the Democratic ranks? I mean, it, it, it looks like Speaker Pelosi heads into this three-week period with a unified Democratic Party. I've really been surprised leading up to this how unified they've been, especially when you think about, we're yeah. talking about immigration issues. Uh, just before the end of the shutdown, I asked Lucille Roybal Allard, who's on this conference committee, was actually working on a full Homeland Security bill. Are you getting any pressure from the left wing of the party saying, you know, we need to defund ICE on this bill, we need to go absolutely hard on our whole immigration uh, priorities rather than compromising? And she said, no, they really haven't been. Now, you had Alexandria Ocasio Cortez voting against some spending bills because it would the CR uh, stopgaps would have funded ICE temporarily. Uh, but that's the only Democrat who who, who peeled off of the, the coalition there. Uh, the caucus really has been together. When it comes time to deal, you may see some more dissent. But the fact that they made it through a whole 35-day shutdown and now have put together this conference committee really is, is more uh, solidity uh, among Democrats than I probably would have guessed. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government congressional reporter. He's going to be with us in the next block as well. As Francesca Chambers, senior White House correspondent at the Daily Mail, I'm Kevin Cirilli. Coming up, the 2020 presidential race, it's starting to be a Bruin. That is the last coffee joke I will make about Howard Schultz, the former Starbucks CEO, and whether or not he's going to run for president. You're listening to Sound On, Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On. We need different leadership. There's no question about it. We choose truth over lies. I said I would take a hard look after the election. I will not be a candidate for president in 2020. Keep America great. Keep America great. Soon. Eye on 2020 with Kevin Cirilli. Welcome back. It's never too early. Well, it kind of is too early, but who cares to talk 2020 presidential politics? And what a great panel we have to do it today. Francesca Chambers, senior White House correspondent at the Daily Mail. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government congressional reporter. And uh, Francesca, I I I'm struck by all of this Howard Schultz, the, the Starbucks, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, all of this uh, brouhaha. That has. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh my gosh! Uh, that has come up about him saying, telling 60 Minutes he might be running as an independent. Uh, right. A lot of folks have come out against this, uh, and I I'm struck by this. I want to play what he said on 60 Minutes to set it up, and then and then we'll talk more about it. 
I don't care if you're Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Republican, bring me your ideas. And I will be an independent person who will embrace those ideas because I am not in any way in bed with a party. Never too early, maybe a little bit too early uh, to be having a, a debate about Howard Schultz in, in 2020 and whether or not he does run, especially at a time when we have so many Democrats. I feel like a new Democrat every single day is declaring the fact that they intend to run for president of the United States, the latest one, Kamala Harris, over the weekend. Jack Fitzpatrick. And there's, there's just, I think this has caught everybody's attention because there's so much terror among Democrats who feel <laughs> good about where Trump's approval ratings have sunk to lately, and they think, you know, the, the one thing that it could really hurt them is splitting up the anti-Trump vote. Uh, you can think what you want about Schultz's chances as a candidate overall, uh, but you compare this to Mike Bloomberg saying he's considering running, but that he doesn't want to be the spoiler and that he'll run in the Democratic primary if he does so. Uh, you, you may think he has no chance in a Democratic primary, but the thing with Schultz is if he runs as an independent, uh, that's, there's no chance to just knock him out. He's but, stealing votes away from whoever ends up uh, being the Democratic nominee. But here's an idea in the interim. Look at what President Trump did today. He was tweeting about him. He's not tweeting about Kamala Harris. He's not tweeting about Elizabeth Warren and any of these other Democrats. And so uh, by the fact that he even suggested that he could run as an independent, it's something that really attracted President Trump because Howard Schultz is someone who is actually ranked by Forbes as being more wealthy than President Trump. And so we started taking shots at his intelligence and sparring with him. So he could serve as a distraction in the meantime oh, yeah. while Democrats are trying to figure out who their nominee is going to be. Yeah, and I want to... I wanna say, no, Michael Bloomberg has told the New York Times he is considering a run for president in 2020 as a Democrat. He's also the founder of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. Senator Kamala Harris, Francesca Chambers, uh, over the weekend in Oakland, declaring that she is running. And that has a lot of people excited, and a lot of the establishment type of Democrats are here in town, uh, at least former Obama folks, uh, are excited about Senator Harris. Here's what Senator Kamala Harris said in Oakland on, on Sunday. Take a listen. We will deliver the largest working and middle class tax cut in a generation. Up to $500 a month to help America's families make ends meet. So Francesca Chambers, senior uh, White House correspondent at the Daily Mail, she's talking about taxes, but Senator Elizabeth Warren the, the Democrat uh, from Massachusetts, I mean, her tax plan essentially, essentially I, I would argue, is, is really one of the most uh, progressive that we've seen. Uh, and, and so is Senator Harris trying to cast herself as going after the same vote? I think that every single one of the Democrats who are running running or thinking about running, this is going to be an issue where they can distinguish themselves. It's also going to be on health care and how, whether or not they support Medicare for all, whether or not how they propose to play, pay for that. We were talking about Howard Schultz before. He has commented on how we should have good health care for all Americans, but he doesn't see how you pay for that and doesn't agree with where Democrats are headed on this. So I think that taxes, health care, those will be two big issues where all of these candidates can come up with positions that define their candidacies and distinguish them from everyone else who's running. Jack, do you think it's too early? To be running? <laughs> no, or to be talking about it. Uh, no, no. I mean, it, we're in 2019. There's going to be such a huge group of Democrats running that some, yeah. everybody wants to position themselves. Do you think as it? Do you something. think it impacts what the, what Speaker Pelosi has to do on Capitol Hill? 
the presidential race, not yeah. as much as uh, just her own caucus and trying to accomplish something in the next two years in divided government. I mean, it's it's hard enough being the speaker when you're working with Trump and a Republican uh, Senate and you've got a, a left wing of your party. I know there are people who are politicking and want attention, but it's more the Senate than, uh, than her own House members. See, I go back and forth, Francesca, because on the one hand, I hear what Jack's saying, and, and, and I think if you're Speaker Pelosi, you know, all of the, the 2020 stuff is, is not a sideshow, but, but, but sort of much uh, different in terms of what uh, the lawmakers are doing. But then there's another part of me that's like, well, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer really can't negotiate with when you have so many high-profile Democrats in the Senate who are, are vying and, and positioning and, and there really doesn't seem to be much of a, an impetus to, to make a deal. But we already knew that many yeah. of these senators were going to be running. So whether they had declared their intentions to run or form an exploratory committee and waited another month or two, certainly that was something, as President Trump has actually repeatedly said, that was going to be on their mind in the border security negotiations. And that's 2020 and setting themselves up with positions that they'll be able to stand on when they run against him, regardless of what those positions are. And I think Jack makes a good point because I, I, I personally think people are so fired up on the left. I think the enthusiasm gap that we saw in the midterms is just it, it's it's just beginning to boil. Uh, and, and, and I think it's going to be uh, nationwide. Other big story, of course, over the weekend. We were following it on Friday. Roger Stone, I got in touch with him over the weekend. I do want to read for you what he texted me because get this. He is very chatty since all of this has gone down. Roger Stone, of course, the president's uh, former informal former informal advisor, a campaign official, the, uh, the, one of the earliest political advisors to private citizen Donald Trump. Actually, when, when Donald Trump was thinking about running for governor of New York, uh, he was one of the folks that he uh, uh, hired. He said to me, quote, I find it outrageous that Brennan, Comey, McCabe, Clapper, and Clinton all lied under oath to the Congress, and none of them were prosecuted, yet I did not lie to Congress, and am being subjected to a frame by the special counsel. The hypocrisy is stunning. Francesca, how's the White House reacting to all this Roger Stone stuff? Has nothing to do with the president. That's that's what they're saying. I mean, but but like, but I mean, what's what what are they saying privately? Because I'm I'm different things, what they're saying privately and publicly. At least that's what I'm hearing. I still think they're, they're trying to make it sound like this has absolutely nothing to do with the president. The president has no exposure here, even though we know that Roger Stone was still informally communicating with President Trump since he took office. I think the question is when, and we didn't get a chance to dig into that far enough today. When was the last time that they had any contact? Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I just, I'm struck by uh you know the Roger show. Uh, Roger, if you're listening, come on, come on the program. We'll we'll have you on. Uh, Huawei, Huawei, the Chinese telecom giant. Well, the U.S. says that they were defrauding. Uh, they were doing more issues of defrauding, and how that's going to impact the U.S.-China trade talks. We're going to get into that tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest all-star panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more 
at cutter economic forum.com